to be back um, after the great holiday break. This is take two. <laughs> I am not a great sound engineer, as I've learned. <laughs> but welcome to Positively Mommin. We're happy to have you guys here. I hope you all had a wonderful break. I'm super excited to announce, um, well, introduce our guest today. Our guest is someone that I know really well. Really well. She probably knows me too well. <laughs> knows all my secrets. Um, so she received a bachelor's from Texas A&M in psychology and then went on to Sam Houston State University for her master's in counseling with a minor in family therapy. She has eight years of experience in at-risk therapy, social work, and counseling with a strong focus on youth. This is her job, but as a person, she's fierce, honest, loyal, and the best little sister anyone could ask for. Please welcome my sister, Melinda Hello. Hello, world. Hello. 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 <laughs> she, like I said, we've already done this one. Mm, yep. We did it last <laughs> night with wine. Today we're doing it with coffee. Coffee. Because um, Delicious we, coffee. we needed some liquid courage on both accounts. Um, and I couldn't give her uh, wine before. I mean, she tenth. could have. No judgment. But yeah. <laughs> we opted for sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Um, today's podcast is going to be really focused on exactly why we brought her on today. When Jen and I started thinking about the pod and what we wanted to, to share um, with our listeners, uh, we just wanted to talk about how it is to be a mom, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a friend, um, posit with positivity at the forefront of everything because this world has a lot of the opposite of that. And so um, when we started um, putting together our boards of all of the episodes, this one came up pretty quickly. I knew that we wanted, I knew that we would benefit from having Belinda on today to share some of her experience. And today's focus is going to be on um, raising successful kids in this day and age um, with a couple of different focuses we're going to talk through. The cool thing is is that um, we polled our viewers, uh, our listeners, not viewers, our listeners, um, and they gave some really great questions. So uh, we were like, okay, this is good. So we're going to work through those questions with you all and then also just share some tips. So first I thought I'd start with Belinda and, and ask you, you know, before we get started in all this, you know, what made you decide to do to do this so career-wise correct yes. my career so I decided to go the realm of counseling because I tended to be that person that was rational and logical and the person that people tended to come to for an unbiased opinion or advice and I really liked psychology when I took it in high school and then my wise older sister told me, if you major in psychology, you will have to get another degree. And she was correct. So I went I went there. And what I like about getting a master's in counseling is that it opened it up for not just the counseling realm, but social work related stuff. So I just like helping people and helping people discover a way to become the best version of themselves, but also doing it in a way where I'm not necessarily telling you what to do all the time but helping you figure it out yourself so and eight years of it I know it's, where does the time go <laughs> that's a lot of of working 
with mental health. Yes. A lot of working with mental health, diverse families, diverse backgrounds, getting to know a lot of people. And it's an honor. It's an honor to have somebody trust me enough to open up to me, but also trust me enough to know that I have their best interests at heart and I'm really trying to help them um, figure things out. So, uh, Yeah, I would say it'd be... It's a lot to open up to someone. I think the other day it was you and I were talking about therapy in general and how there's still somewhat of a cliche um, around. Um, I think it's slowly becoming um, less of that, but there's still this stigma around it. Cliche, right? stigma, definitely. Um, and it isn't everybody's cup of tea, and everybody has their own version of what works for them. But I do think some people are afraid or they think it's not going to work or, and sometimes it doesn't work. I'll be very honest. I'm not going to sit here and say it's the magic answer for everybody. But the thing is, when you go into that, if you go into therapy counseling, you have to be willing to put in the work, which means you have to be open and you have to be willing to be vulnerable and even admit the things that you need to work on yourself and it's it's not always easy so I always hear that um, when you start therapy it's almost like you have to break down the walls to then be able to build yourself back up because you are so vulnerable um, during that time and with a stranger mm -hmm. yeah someone but sometimes that makes it easier too because you have a stranger this isn't your mom that's going to judge you and only hear it from her you know her point of view. So that's kind of the blessing. But I will say if you are interested in therapy to shop around because the most important thing is to build rapport with that person. You can even call and talk to that person and see kind of how you feel about that therapist. Also Psychology Today's website, Psychology Today's magazine, and on the website you can find therapists in your area. And usually most therapists of course have a website with their credentials in the background, even the types of therapy they might focus on because there's a bunch of different types out there. So do your research and then go and try to find the person that's right for you. I think I'll never forget, um, someone told me this once that um, in all of life, we go to doctors for checkups. And we go for, you know, we go to an OBGYN, we go to a gynecologist, you know, we go to all these different checkups and that's all acceptable and common. And, and even a car needs a tune-up. Right. But when it comes to our mind, which is something that we use for every single thing we do, it carries all of the weight of the world of our lives mm -hmm. on it, that there's still this misconception that you shouldn't be able to talk about right and I think that's also a lot of it can be from a cultural perspective I think it's more accepted accepted in certain cultures and even gender like I feel like males might have a more difficult time going and talking about stuff and processing um, I hope that as time goes by it's taken more seriously because I think we're really failing each other because of that. You're absolutely right. There are checkups and check-ins for all kinds of things. Why not mental health and how we think and how we process stuff and how we handle things based on our perception of the world and the language that we choose to use for ourselves and for each other. So what are some of the, um, 
check-ins that you do for yourself from a mental health perspective? Like what are some of the things that help you to work through? Because you not only have the issues that you work through with others, but then you have your own that you have to work through too. What are some of the tips you could share for your own thing that for your own mental health that you do on a daily, weekly basis? Well, I will say, well, we talked about this last night. I think the hardest job is to be a parent, but I will say it's very hard to be in the mental health field only because just because you're helping other people doesn't mean your life, your own personal life stops. It doesn't. And you're still dealing with, you're dealing with everybody else and then you're dealing with yourself and it can be very difficult, but I think self-care is very important and finding the things in self-care that work for you. Um, like for me, I need some downtime. I consider myself more of an ambivert, which means I can go and be extroverted. You know, I can, I can flip that switch, but whenever I'm done with that, I need time to myself. I need time to not have to listen, not have to talk, maybe some background noise, maybe read a good book. Uh, and I definitely pay attention to how I'm feeling because, you know, we're talking about doctors going, um, going to doctors for all our biological issues, but not our mental issues, but they're, they're tied together. Everything's biopsychosocial. So a lot of times you might have a headache and it's tension because you've been stressed out. Mm -hmm. So things like that. So definitely doing um, the pauses and the check-ins with yourself and realizing, you know, what might be the cause of that and either how to work through that already or take a step back from it if I'm allowed to work-wise. And then at home, just making sure that I do the things that I need to do to take care of myself. I'll tell you that um, I, I've never heard of it. Ambervert. Ambervert? Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Well, so, you know, everybody talks about extroverted and introverted, yeah. but ambervert's kind of a combination of two, and I feel like I'm more that way because I'm a lot like our dad, <laughs> but I'm also a lot like our mom, and our mom knows no strangers. She's you know, she has this personality where she just can go out and she's talking to somebody, and sometimes I'll be at the store with her and she's rattling off in Spanish, and I'm like, oh, did you know that person? She's like, no, but if you heard her... No matter what language she's speaking, you just think she knows that person. Yeah. And I can definitely do that, but I'm like our dad, where it's like, okay, I need to, I need to step back. That took a lot of energy. That took a lot of, well, just energy. And I need to go and retreat for a little bit where I'm not having to focus because list, active listening takes a lot of energy. And if you're doing that for about eight hours a day, it can be pretty tiring. Yeah. So. Yeah. So ambiverts, you know, you got that extroverted part of you, but then there's an introverted part of you as well. So, huh, I never had heard of that. I, I've always thought I was kind of in the middle too, but I definitely tend to be more of an extrovert. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also, um, tend to need to be by myself too. Um, so that's it. I've never heard, heard of that. I'll say that my, how I, some things that I do for my mental health um, and keeping it in check is I definitely meditate. Every morning I pray and I think the best thing I ever heard on another podcast was that prayer doesn't have to be in a church holy as that. Right. And so um, a lot of my prayer happens in a car. Um, I've dropped off my kids um, and I've got 10 minutes to home before I start my work day or 10 minutes to the next meeting. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do my prayer meditation. Then I turn off all music and I say my affirmations. 
um, and I say my prayers and I do that and I get in the right mindset, I also will always find at the end of that meditation um, a quote, too, usually, um, because I am definitely um, all about words. My love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> and so I find something that speaks to me in whatever came out of that meditation. So usually one quote is about working out because that is my de-stress and also my way of like keeping my mental health. That is my therapy. Right. Going to a gym and slamming a med ball is like amazing. <laughs> um, and then I, and so I find a quote that keeps me going the next day right. because um, it's hard for me to go to the gym every day, even though I've been doing it for such a long time. Right. And then the second thing is I find something that like, again, comes out of my prayer and meditation. That's a theme. And then I focus on that. And that sets the tone for my day. So if I don't do that, then my mind's not clear. And I do it at night too. So I have those two times where I really get into prayer and meditation. I focus on thankfulness and gratitude um, and positivity. <laughs> and then um, and I work through all the issues that I've had. Well, I like that. I like that you have a beginning and an end. It's kind of like symmetry. You know, you start your day a certain way and you end your day a certain way. And it helps you reflect and it helps you process. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely a, a good thing. I also want to recommend some things with meditation. Uh, there's an app called Headspace. And it's really easy, because, if, especially for beginners, because if you don't really know much about meditation, it does it for you. You literally, in the morning, will go, you'll, I think you have a morning and an evening one, and you just follow the steps. Oh, wow. And it's super simple. And there's, there's some on Pinterest. Of course, you can Google as well. But on, I've actually found some really good ones on Pinterest, but I like the ones that are interactive where, you know, you, as you breathe in, you're following the shape and then as it expands, you're exhaling. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. um, there, there are those that are, that make it easier, but there's of course different types of meditation. Like you said, you, you add prayer to yours. So yeah. Yeah, I have, I have prayer to mind. That's where our mom and Jesus come in. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was raised. Yep. So um, let's get into some of these interview questions and work through them. There's going to be an overall theme um, of what we're going to be talking about today, and we'll kind of tie it all together at the end. So the first question, and we've talked about this, mm -hmm. um, is if there's one piece of advice you'd give to parents, what would it be? So... I'm actually kind of glad we're doing this again because it has it has me think about what we talked about last last night. And so some of the answers that I gave later in the podcast from last night, I can kind of put to the forefront now. So not really to get religious, but I was telling Andrea last night that I feel like the closest thing to God in human form is being a parent. Because if you believe in God, in the traditional sense, you believe that God created man, right? And God is supposed to love us unconditionally no matter what. Well, I think parents do that, right? You create this human being and a good parent they should, they should. <laughs> um, loves your child unconditionally. So the reason why I'm bringing that up now is because out of all my experience working with families, working with kids, working with parents, the bottom line is loving your child unconditionally and it's simple and it's not simple because they test your nerves, especially if you have more than one and you're having to deal with all of them. It's, it's a balancing act, but at the end of the day, loving them unconditionally is the most important thing, but also how you portray that is mm -hmm. important. 
um, because it's not about being their friend. It's not about um, giving them everything they want. Because if you are parenting, you are trying to help mold this child into being a productive adult once they leave your household. So you are going to have boundaries and you are going to have schedules and structure and consistency and, and all those different things. But you're also going to be able to explain to them, hey, this is why you are in trouble or this is why this is the consequence of your choice, things like that. So the, the simple answer is loving them unconditionally, but there's a lot more that goes with that answer. Right. Well, and I think that we talked about, um, to the fact that you feel that that is at the core of everything. It's interesting to think about this, too. I'm glad we are doing a retake of this as well because, you know, we weren't, this is nothing, we weren't raised with a lot of structure. Right. Right. Like, I talk about this, and as you get to know Jen and I, we have a lot of similarities in some things, and um, when we talk about family, there's some things, and for us, for Belinda and I, we weren't raised with a lot of structure. Which um, surprises people, by the way. Yeah. People, people get very, very surprised um, about this. Um, but there's a lot of reasons as to why that, of that, um, why we weren't. Um, you do what you know. and um, But we were raised with a lot of love. And again, you do what you know. I'll never forget, my mom is the oldest of 13 well, she was the old. She was the second oldest second. of twelve, and then her oldest brother died, so she became the oldest, oldest of, 11. of eleven. So my mom's the oldest of the eleven. Of eleven, I'm the oldest grandchild of like twenty plus. Twenty plus, almost thirty. On that side, of the on family. that side only. And my mom lost her mom in December when she was gosh, fifteen. She was fifteen. She was fifteen. They had already lost their older brother, and the youngest was six months old mm -hmm. um, at that time of, of those eleven, and so. Um, her mom died of breast cancer, and she lost her very young, and my grandfather was there with, um, you know, 11 kids. And um, so you can understand that there probably wasn't a lot of structure there. But the one thing that always resonated, every December my mom would get pretty down, and there was something she would always share with me. She would always say that the reason why she overshares her love for us was because she could not remember her mom ever saying that she loved her. And so, again, you do what you know and you right. say what you say. And so we may not have had a lot of structure, uh, but this goes to show that if your kids feel loved, mm -hmm. then that literally could just be the basis and foundation of, of most everything. Right. Um, and we definitely knew that. Right. Um, growing, growing up and still do. Mm -hmm. um, we're definitely our mother's, you know, pride and joy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we didn't have a lot of structure. So when we're talking about this too, we were talking about there are some other tips that you thought were important to share regarding advice was consistency. Yes. You know, to what we do as parents with our children. Can you explain that? So consistency and follow through and what we talked about last night that my sister clarified was I'm not saying you have to have their schedule down to a T, but children are, you know. What I said last night was that children, childhood is the shortest amount of time in your lifespan, but it's the most important, meaning your brain stops developing at 25 years old. So for all that time, it's it's vital. It's crucial. Right. So it's a short amount of time in the lifespan, 
but it's very important because it's shaping you and it's setting you up for the rest of your life. So having that routine, knowing, okay, that I get up at this time, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, I eat breakfast, I get on the bus, I go to school, okay, after school, I know I need to do homework, I know I need to do this, this, and this before I go have dinner with my family, then it's time to go to bed. Now, the reason why that's important is, and my disclaimer last night was a lot of this stuff is I've learned through my trainings, right, the conferences and the experts that I've gotten to listen to is that on a deeper level, we all have the fear of the unknown, right? And of course, for children, I would say it's not necessarily worse, but having that routine and having that consistency kind of gives us a sense of a little bit of control. Mm-hmm. I think we all have an issue with control. Uh, so, so, right, we, we all do. <laughs> so having all those things are important because it makes them feel safe. Your parent, as parents, you're the anchor, but it also helps them in this critical time of development. I mean, they need an adequate amount of sleep. They can't be, they can't be staring at a phone, a bright screen in the middle of the night. And, Oh my gosh, I can't miss this text because someone's was texting me. Of course, I'm talking more preteens at this point, but um, it's an issue because they really, and I tell my kids all the time that I work with, listen, your brains are developing you really need that sleep so that when you go to school the next day, you're not falling asleep in science, not paying attention, not focused because you had a bright screen in your face at 11 o'clock last night. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing when we were talking about this was that, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that every hour of the day needs to be scheduled out for your kids. Like I was reading an article where they were talking about um, the fact that, so many kids are overscheduled now, right? Because parents feel like they need to keep their kids busy. But it's not about that. It's, again, referencing to the consistency of just day to day, like getting up, going to bed, dinner time, when we brush our teeth, um, and how we fill that time of the day. Uh, kids are kids, so right. that might mean that they're outside, you know, for four hours playing mm-hmm. with their buddies. That's fine, but there's a six o'clock stopping point right. to take bath, eat dinner, decompress, get together as a family and and do your your nightly routine and I I do think that that is important. Right. Well, and then going back to consistency and follow through meaning more than just routine, but also following through with your word yeah. and not necessarily punishment. I don't like to use the word punishment or discipline. I think that's kind of negative. I like consequences more maybe. Mm-hmm. Or even positive things um, or positive rewards or whatever. Um, because empty words really mean a lot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got a middle child where empty words, like, I had to really, I um, read a book called The Love Languages for Children. And um, as y'all probably know, because I already referenced my love language. But I thought for sure my middle kiddo's love language was going to be... Um, physical touch. Like I thought for sure, um, he's a cuddle, cuddler. He likes to be near us often. Um, and I thought that was what it was going to be. But after giving him the quiz and just talking through it with him, it actually was quality time. And I was surprised about that because I feel like we give all of our kids quality time. But what I realized is when he was having breakdowns, it was because of not having follow through on words. So now I know that 
when we commit to quality time, that it has to be committed and we follow through with mm -hmm. it. And we don't say it as a, oh, if we get to it or if we have time. Like I'm really cautious about those words and that I we have a consistent, again, to the word consistent, we always have Friday family fun night. And we always have Sunday night downtime AFV. So we always <laughs> do these two things. And if we don't do these two things, it's always the end of the world for this kiddo. And I didn't understand why. But he cherishes Friday nights having pizza with all the family and watching a movie together. Mm -hmm. He he cherishes that. Right. And he likes to spend that time. No devices. Right. He expects parents to be paying attention and us all being together. And Sunday night, same thing. If we don't watch America's Funniest Videos, <laughs> it's the end of the world. Like, Shout out to Alfonso yeah. Rivera, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with that. Well, when we were talking about this, too, something that kind of came up naturally in this conversation was technology. Right. Um, and we talked a lot about that and, and the concerns with middle schoolers mm -hmm. and technology nowadays. nowadays. I know that we really we have a sixth grader, and... Um, we talk a lot about this. Uh, there's a lot of rules. We have a check-in point for our, our kiddos, and I'll share a story as to why. Um, but, you know, we had a reality check recently and didn't expect it. I, I really do think we were, as parents, Kenny and I were naive to this. Uh, we thought, eh, you know, he's honest. He tells us everything, which he is all of those things. But he's also a kid. And they make mistakes. A preteen. A preteen, pre which I don't even like saying. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on technology with these kiddos? Well, the concern that I have now, well, parents have to deal with this homey ball game, right? Because I didn't get a cell phone until I was a senior in college. And it wasn't a smartphone, it was a flip phone. Yeah. And yeah, my coworker made me get a smartphone at like 25. I don't even know. So I'm not very tech savvy. So I actually worry about parents who don't educate themselves on the restrictions that they can play that they can play enforce. There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, on their kids technology on tablets and cell phones, because kids are smart. They're really, really smart. They're smart about the things that they're passionate about and the things that help them socialize, and that's cell phones. I mean, it's and just... media. Yeah. So it worries me because kids know how to have secret accounts or they might know about an app that's popular within their age group but you're not aware of because you're 35 years old and you're not worried about... You know, I think it's the one that I heard about for the last couple of years was Kick or something like that. Kick. Yeah, exactly. Kick. Exactly. And, you know, things like Snapchat where messages disappear. So when you go and look into it, unless they purposely save that message, you can't see it. So they get away with stuff. Um, so that's the thing that scares me. And again, I... I don't really care if somebody judges me and thinks that I'm a warrior wart. I'm a warrior wart because of the field that I went into. I've My poor sister and all the years I've gone to these trainings has had to hear me come back and tell her really devastating stories. I don't care if it makes me paranoid. I care about the safety of these kids. And these kids don't realize that there are predators out there. There are predators who know what kind of kid they're looking for to access to kidnap. Child slavery, sex slavery is real. It's real. Especially in big cities. And I'm in the San Antonio area in Texas. And it's bad in San Antonio. And to go to these trainings and hear this stuff scares me. Because, you know, 
teenagers and preteen girls that have parental issues don't realize when somebody, and of course these people are lying about their age, yep. come and tell them, oh, blah, 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 and make these children trust them and open up to them the next thing you know they're kidnapped. So stuff like that really does concern me. But, and I'm learning a lot from my sister because nephew just got, oldest nephew just got a phone for the first time and she is doing everything in her power to limit time. And it's not just about safety, it's it's limiting their time on electronics. Yes. All I think that's important too. And I don't think, it. I think it's very important to set limits and be consistent with those limits and those boundaries so that they know, so they don't get addicted because the other thing too, I mean, addiction is real Yeah. with social media, with electronics, with video gaming. Yeah. And I think now in the DSM-5, video game addiction is recognized. Wow. I could be making that up. Y'all might want to check, check that. I don't want to be telling y'all the wrong thing, but I'm pretty sure I saw an article that said that, and that does not surprise me. As it? And I'll tell you that some tips here, like just that I can share as a parent that Belinda and I were talking about, because again, she said she was going to go back um, and, and share some of the, these things, but right. I can't emphasize this enough. You're right. A lot of the reasons why I have, why Kenny and I have the things in place we do for our children regarding technology is because of you in a good way. Um, I'll never forget. I think Braxton was not even one <laughs> and you called me and you're like, never let him ever have a social media account. And he told me about a story that, it, you know, that mm-hmm. shared and that really shook you. And, and I remember Jen and I talking about this too, because um, when we were getting ready to launch this podcast, we talked about if we wanted to share our kids' names, right. you know, if we wanted to have pictures of them. And, and Jen, I wish she was here today. She would say, well, she didn't even think anything really of it until we started talking about it. And I said, well, this is why though, you know? Yes. And, um, she's like, oh, she totally understood. But, um, I have a lot of, I think it, I think it's very important to stress this and I'll stress it a lot that you have to, like I, I, I referenced helicopter parent, you know, I think that some people might think that I could be that I, I definitely, and you know, we talk, mm-hmm. we'll talk about this more, but, um, me being mindful of my kids' behaviors is important, and it's what actually um, caught is what Kenny and I. It's because we were so meaningful. Kenny and I were able to catch our oldest already, and and you know, involved in some chatting with some friends and girl and a girl that was inappropriate, and he's eleven, mm-hmm. and inappropriate in the sense that he didn't even understand that it was inappropriate. Um, it wasn't anything bad, actually, um, if we look at it from, it's definitely PG, or right. G, rated G, mm-hmm. but at 11, there's never, I never would have even thought to do that. We we wrote notes to each other. Well, we know, didn't have tablets right, or anything at right. that age. They just have, as, as much as information we have, they have too. So we have a lot of check-in points. So our kids earn technology time. Um, they have to do their chores to earn technology time. They have to complete their homework. There's several things they know they have to do, and it is consistent. They don't get to do those things like play on the Xbox, um, play uh, play on their um, tablets, or their phone. They can't do any of those things until they do all of the important things mm-hmm. first, and they earn that time. Right. It's not like I give you 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour. They earned it based on the activities and things they've done. They also do not have technology in their bedrooms. Their phones, their tablets, all those things that they have, 
including computers, will be checked in at our check-in point in the kitchen. It's a neutral place. It's a place where we have everything and check in and out. And we also use a lot of apps and things to monitor our kids' screen time as well. Right. And they have to request permission for additional screen time if they meet the max limit. And those are all very important things that we feel um, uh, our kids need because I'd rather them be outside. Right. I'd rather them be... Use their imagination. Their, yeah, using their imaginations. And our, I think our kids do a good job of that, but because of that. And we have one kid who could be on, the on you know, mm -hmm. playing video games all day. And then we have one kid who could care less yeah. about it. So that's also the other piece, but we manage it the same. And I like that you manage it the same. I like that you're consistent with it. And I like that you have a check-in and it's out in the kitchen and it's not a private thing because what we talked about last night was having these electronics are a privilege. It's not a right. You don't have to have a tablet. You don't have to have a cell phone. Yep. I do think, you know, you discuss that with your family and decide what age is appropriate to have a cell phone because there's so many things out in the world right now that you want your child to be able to be able to contact you at any given moment mm -hmm. because the world is, we Way know how the world is, right. When we grew up. Yeah. Right. Yep. But it's true, um, going back to calling you and Braxton, I remember having a talk with him after a conference about stranger danger and I'm like, knowing your parents' actual names and not just, you know, mom and dad and all these different things and going to a training um, where somebody spent 30 years working with sex offenders and showing us very normal pictures and then telling us how a sex offender would interpret that and somehow make it sexual. And it blows your mind. And when you don't go to that stuff, you're just like, oh, it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. And these kids are young and naive and they feel safe and they think nothing would ever happen to them. Yep. But it can. And so that's why I think it's important to monitor that stuff, um, to learn how to monitor it and learn set it. those set yep. those um, boundaries and having to request more time. Um, it pops up on on his, you know, tablet saying you got to request more time and things like that. Um, but also for their brains as well to get a break from it. So Yeah, yeah. And that's, honestly, that's at the core of it. But the other part for us is that we just want them to use their minds in a different way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, I mean, I feel like we grew up in a household where the Nintendo was always going, but half the day my brother was outside playing baseball. Right. My brother was outside playing baseball. Baseball, skateboarding. Um, yeah, and skateboarding. So I, I just think if you can have a healthy mix of it, it'll be better for everyone, right. in including you as a mm -hmm. parent, because there's a lot that goes on on those games that we don't know. Right. Because they can communicate It's now. social. <laughs> so that's the other now. whole new thing. I mean, when you played Nintendo, they had to come over to your house to play. Yep. Now these kids can play with anyone around the world. And it blows my mind. Like, our kids are not allowed to talk to someone they don't know or or friend, accept, mm -hmm. or request a friend from someone they don't know. I mean, there's just so many things as parents that you have to get educated on. And don't take any of it for granted. Right. And I will say, I still remember, because one of the most recent... Um, professional developments I went to and we had this the specialist that came in and talked about child slavery coming out of San Antonio people kidnapping kids gaming is probably the number one way that they get boys because we usually talk about girls oh, but it do. exists for boys too and I remember a co-worker raising their hand and saying um so your unit does it have is there a designated area in your unit for boys and there wasn't Wow. You get what I'm saying? Because yeah. the emphasis usually is on girls, but gaming is big 
particularly for boys. And if you can talk to complete strangers, that's how they get you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> I know. Sorry. I'm sorry to be got, that Debbie Downer no, person. No, but no, deep breath. I know. It's, it's heavy. But it is. It is. It is. And it's just. It didn't, at first when you, when we, you and I had, we've had several talks about it, it scared me, but it also empowered me. Yes. And I hope Knowledge that, is power. Yes. Knowledge is power. And I hope that, um, that us sharing this, mm-hmm. you walk away from it. Right. Feeling that like. Right. Not, don't, don't be scared of it. And, and don't be anxious. this goes back to the loving, right? The loving and the setting boundaries. So the next time your kid wants you to cave on something that maybe in your gut you just you feel bad, but you don't want them to be upset with you, think about safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying go and be the helicopter parent because they do have to learn how to deal with things to a certain extent, but they're kids yeah. and you're responsible for them. And since their brain isn't fully developed, the last part of your brain that develops is, oh, there might be a consequence to this action. So... It is your job. It is your, or we'll say responsibility, um, to set those boundaries out of love mm-hmm. because you don't want something to happen to them. So just don't feel bad about it or make yourself feel like you're being a bad parent because you're telling your child no. Greatest advice I want to say our dad ever gave me was you cannot be afraid to make your kid upset with you. Um, you can't be, you know, you have to be the parent. You can't be the friend. So, yeah, my three year old, you know. She asked me, "Mommy, are you my best friend?" And I, and it breaks my heart. But I was telling her, "No, baby, I'm your mom." Mm-hmm. And now I want to be your best friend. Of course. But, well, but, but that'll, that'll be later. Later. That'll be later. Yes, yeah, that'll be later. And then exactly. You you get to be the best friend. Yeah, but I want to be mom. Right but now. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. She needs to know, and it's okay. And I yes, I'm especially looking at that cute, adorable little face. It's yeah. hard to say, like. No, no, I'm not, but <laughs> yeah. but you do it out of love. Yeah. Genuinely out of love. Yeah. So agreed. So um that takes us into our next question, which is um we'll kind of flip over to now to kind of talking about siblings. Um so what do you think is the best approach? This is a question sent in. Um the best approach for meditating or mediating, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. mediating sibling arguments. Is it best to stay completely out? Or force them to love love one another, or something else. And there's a lot of scenarios, but this this actual question is coming from Jen. She's got a boy and a girl. They're three or four years apart, and we all know that our kids fighting is, I mean, that's normal right. to a degree. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on. Well, and on the developmental spectrum, a three year old is pretty different from a seven year old, just because of lack of vocabulary. Um, I will say for me and, you know, my work history, it was always easier for me to work with older kids just because they could vocalize versus um, doing a therapy session with the child where they can't really express themselves in terms of using words. Yeah. But you people might not like my answer, but it's hard for me to answer only because maybe I don't know the situation or I feel like every situation is different because... I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Personally, I don't think, oh, just let them solve it versus no, going in every single time. I think it's important to mediate when you're trying to help them use their words. Um, I also want to emphasize at both of those ages, children are very egocentric. So they're seeing it from their perspective and they're seeing it from, you know, like, for example, if you go in and you try to mediate 
and you're trying to have maybe the seven-year-old understand why the three-year-old's only three years old, give him yeah. a break, but the seven-year-old's feelings are so hurt that all they're thinking about is themselves. So I think it does depend on the situation. I don't think either one is wrong. Um, I think it would be trying to gauge the situation. And you're freaking human too. So if you just want a break because you're yeah. tired of constantly mediating, you feel like you're talking to a wall, um, give yourself a little bit of a break and, and see what happens. But what I, I'll say is that I feel like a lot of times, even with that type of age difference, they fight and then they're better two minutes later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I hate this person. I'm tattletelling. And the next thing you know, oh, I don't want my, my brother to get in trouble or I don't want my sister to get in trouble. And that's okay. It's just kind of part of, part of that. I think also knowing your children and knowing when it's going to get worse might be the time to step in. But if you're going to step in, definitely, you know, try to have them have their time to speak. I statements are really important. So instead of being accusatory and pointing fingers, well, you made me feel this way. <laughs> You say so, like, let's say you and I got in a fight and I'm mad because maybe I misunderstood something that you said instead of just pointing the finger because I could be wrong, right? You might not have had that intention at all, but it's my perception, my interpretation of your words. I would use I statements like I really felt hurt because the, you know, this is what, how I understood it or this is what was said and it made me feel like this. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, because yeah, typically in an argument, well, you did this and he did this, you know, my sons, Bryson did this and Brody did this and it's very accusatory, like mm -hmm. you said. But instead, if you, right. if I went back to Brody and said, okay, explain how that made you feel. So I, mom, felt mm -hmm. like when Braxton did this. Right. It made me sad. Right. That's what you're like. Yes, oh, exactly. Okay. I... Felt like this when this happened because of this. Or I, you know, this happened and it made me feel like this. Kind of deconstruct it. Uh -huh. But you also might want to give them time to cool off. Because you might want them to say it when they've gotten some space and some time to cool down versus just out of emotion. Get what I'm saying? Yeah, I have to do that with my middle. Mm -hmm. He has to have space. Some time, some time out. You don't have to use that word. But, yeah. you know, space um, to get them to cool down a little bit. Um, and not speak and react out of the, the very big emotions that they're feeling. Yeah. And I'll tell you with my three-year-old, um, I've noticed with her when I now try to evoke empathy, that, that seems to be helping her a little bit more to stop and think. Mm -hmm. Like when I say, Belle, how would you feel if Brody did this? How would it make you feel? And she stops and thinks. And then again, she goes back to it, but she stops and thinks, and we didn't, you know, before, I mean, she's three, but almost four, but that I also noticed has been helpful too. And I think it helps because again, they're very egocentric at that age. So it, it helps them step out of that a little bit mm -hmm. and think about how they're, it's like a ripple effect. That's how I describe it to kids a lot. You know, you might make this one choice, but it has, a, it's like a ripple. Throwing right. a stone in a pond creates ripples. You might be creating ripples. So let's think about the long term. Let's think about how others would be affected by making this choice. Healthy choices versus poor choices. You know, healthy coping skills versus poor coping skills. Appropriate versus inappropriate. So. Yeah. 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 So I think that that actually leads into the ne another good question we got um, that kind of ties into this, right? Which mm -hmm. was, um, 
How do you discipline, teach, reward siblings who respond differently to different parenting strategies without them feeling like it's unfair or biased? Um, time out versus time in. So I think that's kind of difficult, honestly, because kids are going to have their own mind and their own thoughts. Trying to explain it to them as best as you can, but you can only do so much. I think what I really want y'all to take away from this is try not to beat yourself up so much. It's okay. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. Um, there's no perfect parent. There's no perfect child. You just, you do the best you can with what you have. So your children are different. You can't control the types of personalities they're born with. And you can have very vastly different children. So it's okay to be, I actually am impressed by that question because I feel like that person's really aware of different types of children, different types of personalities, different types of parenting styles. Um, you can explain it, also be aware of their age and how much they're going to comprehend when you're trying to explain it to them mm -hmm. to understand. But you just got to keep doing what you're doing. And eventually... Because clearly what they're doing is good because they yeah, obviously are aware. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and then time out and time in. So I am off, well, this is why it's perfect, that it's called Positively Mommy, because I'm definitely for positive parenting approaches. So there's this amazing lady, um, I say lady, but she's a doctor, so mm -hmm. hello, Karen Purvis, uh, K-A-R-Y-N, and then P-U-R-V-I-S, and she's out of Texas Christian University, I mean, she has her own institute there, oh. and her um, training is TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, oh. it might not be relational, it might be relationship, um, and I'm currently getting trained in that in periods, different periods of time, you can look her up on YouTube, so the reason why I am mentioning her, and I think it's good if yeah. you do look her up, is because I, I would say she you know what? She might be the person who created time in. I don't really know. But I understand punishment, you know, consequences, boundaries. But when children, especially at that young age, are acting out, it's because they're learning their emotions and they're learning to regulate and they're learning to deal with them and giving them that time and that even that comfort. We, I feel like right now we're definitely... Our country is very divided because somebody might look at that and say, no, you're just spoiling the kid and you're just enabling their behavior because they did something bad and they just need to be punished. They need to be spanked. They need to have a timeout. They need to get in trouble. They, you know, but it's not about that. It's not saying that you are okay with that behavior. It's letting them calm down and have enough time to regulate themselves so that you can have that rational conversation with them so that they do know, hey, I didn't, you know, I didn't act right. Let's review better options for the next time. And if it does end up resulting in a consequence, understanding why that consequence is in place. So I think time in is really good because mm -hmm. um, it gives them that space to go, you know, cool down versus a timeout. Um, and I hope one day we progress to where people are understanding where that's coming from. Um, I mean, that's even why we learned that spanking really doesn't do any good. Of course, that's a different story because that depends on the culture and, and how the spanking occurs, but that's, you know, a whole, different. That's a whole other. Yeah, that's episode. a whole other. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I like time in, but I'm definitely more of the positive, you know, parenting type of, um, type of thing. And again, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to, you're going to punish your kids and 
don't beat yourself up over it. But I like that. I like the time in um, parenting approach and explaining to your kids why you do what you do with different children and them not necessarily understanding it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. It is okay. Uh, I'll just tell you that oh, I have all three of my kiddos are very different, as you know. And I'll tell you that um, each one of them responds differently. Not We do not discipline or approach them the same. And before I even knew it was called time in, we were doing that with our middle. Because time out, oh my gosh, it never worked for him as a toddler. But what we recognized was that his, his the way he managed his emotions was very similar to my husband. Mm -hmm. And so my husband, seeing that, quickly said, he needs a minute. Just send him to his room. Let him have his own space, his safe place. Let him work through it. And what I've noticed is, sure enough, he's terrible going up to his room. <laughs> He's not good when he's going up to his room, but he closes that door. He gives himself that, you know, we give him a minute per age. So, you know, he takes those, you know, 10 minutes and then we go back. And he usually is the first to apologize. He's just like, I'm really sorry that I was disrespectful. And, um, and that worked for him. Timeouts didn't. Now, my three-year-old, timeouts work. She does not like timeouts. She doesn't like to be away from mommy or daddy. She doesn't like to be away from everything because she's missing it. So timeouts work for her. Time ins, uh uh. She would play. She would think it's fun. Ooh, yeah. It'd be like but, a reward. Yeah, it would be a reward. But a timeout works for her because she gets it and she does not like to apologize at all. So um, uh, when we sit down, we always give her a minute for her age. So she gets three minutes in her timeout. I set the timer. She sees it. She knows it. And at the end, she has to apologize, but also reference why. So we say, why were you in a timeout? And as they get older, they explain why they're in a timeout, but she'll, she's still little. So I'll say, you, you know, you're in a timeout because you did not listen to directions or you um, did X, Y, Z, you hit your brother. Do you understand? Yes. What did you do? And then she says her version. Mm -hmm. I hit Bubba. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, do you understand you're in timeout? Yes. Are you ready to apologize? And she says, usually no. <laughs> <laughs> but something else I got from you like a long time ago is, um, you know, my sister and I talk a lot about, you know, we're definitely, you know, women, women feminists. You know, <laughs> we talk about empowerment and all these things. And one day her and I, got into a late night discussion um, about something and we talked about apologies and how women are women naturally often apologize. And, so, sorry. and we say sorry when we're not sorry. Right. Right. So we've taught our kiddos to say when someone apologizes to them. So like when Belle goes to Brody and says, Brody, I'm sorry I hit you, instead of Brody saying it's okay, because it wasn't okay. Right. He says, I accept your apology, Belle. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. And I remember being at a park and a parent saying, stopping me and saying, I just noticed that your kids said, I accept your apology. Because one of their kids was mean to my kiddo. So mm -hmm. when the kid went apologized, my kiddo said, I accept your apology. Thank you. She said, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was like, well, and I, I explained, mm-hmm. I said, well, my sister's very smart. You know, she, she was telling me this stuff and it stuck with me because I realized that I apologize for things I shouldn't apologize for. Mm-hmm. When someone hurts you, you don't say it's okay because it wasn't freaking okay. Yes. And I realized that because I do it myself. I'm an overthinker. <laughs> so I think a lot. And also I cannot emphasize how much I think words are important in the language that we choose. And I realized that about myself. I say sorry a lot when I shouldn't, and I would say it's okay, and then it dawned on me to not say that because it's, am I really accepting the apology, or am I just saying it's okay when it's not, and so I don't want to do that anymore, and I realized I did that in a certain situation with somebody because I said it's okay, and I realized I didn't really mean it, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I truly forgave that person that I say, I appreciate that, I accept your apology, you know, et cetera. Um, and so with girls particularly, yes. I feel like it's hard because I think we're at a great place in terms of, you know, women real and girls realizing you can be anything you want to be. Yep. And so we want to create confidence and we want to create, we don't want a kid, a girl to just be like, oh, it's just about looks and being a pretty face and stuff like that. You know, we want... I want my niece to know that she is intelligent and that she is creative and that she can problem solve and figure stuff out without somebody always having to do it for her. Mm-hmm. And you want, I want her to be confident. She's confident in spades, but you also want them to be humble at the same time and not arrogant or rude or disrespectful because you do think you're hot stuff. Yeah. And I think that, difficult finding that balance as well so you know wanting them to be confident in their abilities and not doubt themselves but also knowing when it's okay to get help or when it's okay to realize you know what I'm I'm not perfect I'm not you know I'm gonna make mistakes yeah well and that's a great segue into another one of our questions which is how do you not raise mean girls it's hard it is like I mean it is hard. Right. It's hard because there's a fine balance of having to teach, a girl, and I think for boys too, but more, more so for girls, where you teach them that they've got to be strong and they've got to, like you said, be humble. But then they can't be so freaking arrogant that they're mean to others. Right. You know? And I'm going to say, and I remember saying this last night, I'm trying to remember everything I said last night because it was I don't, so good. Well, I don't think I would change it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But. I cannot stress enough that everything starts at home. And the example I used last night was Tyra Banks. And I remember, I don't know if I saw it on America's Top Model or I saw her interview with Oprah, but I remember her admitting that she was a bully. And you you look at this gorgeous woman who was a Victoria's Secret model, um, you know, has shows and books and all kinds of stuff. And you're like, how the heck could this woman be a bully? And how could she even admit it, right? But I want to say I remember her story being that she would get bullied at home. I think maybe she was one of the younger kids. Uh And so she had no outlet for how she felt. So then she would go and do what was done to her at school. She would go take it out on, you know, somebody. I get it if you don't want to admit your kid's a bully. Um, Most parents don't. Right. Most parents don't admit it. And, you know, I get it. But... Again, you're trying to raise these children to become responsible adults eventually. And I think something that's really important is, you know, teaching them kindness. Um, But that all goes back to regulating emotions and feelings and teaching them how 
to work with those feelings in a way that's okay, that's healthy. Uh Um, So the other thing I want to emphasize is how everything is deeper than we think. You know what I mean? Like on the surface, you just see this kid, you know, being a bully on the bus or whatever, but there's a reason behind it. And it's, I mean, we can't go into every household to knock on the door and control every parent at all. But the other thing about being a parent is admitting your own issues and being vulnerable and working through stuff because you're leading, you're being an example. Um, So example that I used last night was, you know, let's talk about mean girls. Well, let's say you have the leader of the pack, right? But the issue starts boiling up because everybody's getting tired of the leader. And then you realize the leader of the pack isn't because all the friends wanted this person to be the leader. The leader placed herself there. And we'll talk about all the other girls and has control. And has control. And so you start dissecting it and you realize the reason why this kid put herself as a leader of the pack to control everything is because she is actually very afraid that she's going to be left out. She has low self-esteem and puts herself in there to try to control it and be the leader so that she's not left out because her self-esteem is so low. She doesn't think she'd have any friends on her own to begin with. So she kind of forces it. And that's when you work with that kid on self-esteem and on confidence but you also realize that they're that way because of home life. Yep. You get what I'm saying? All, oh, yeah. all the things that happen at home to make this kid that, I mean, even going into things like anorexia and bulimia, those are called, uh, how do I, the good girl disease? Because sometimes it stems from control. It's deeper than just an eating issue. It's deeper than, it's control. I have no control. I'm a good girl. I have good grades. I'm perfect. You would never think i go and, and do this, but... There's chaos. So let me go have control on something. And the one thing I can control is my caloric intake. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I can tell you, I shared this too. Um, You know, I was bullied and you know this, Mm -hmm. I was bullied um, in high school. uh, And I remember thinking that at the root of it now, we were talking about this the other day because we were talking about some um, schoolmates that we went to school with and and that no one really knew the behind the scenes of that household mm-hmm. but what resulted in their bullying to others was this and I'll say that now as an adult I look at it and and the core theme of why people were that way to me um, was jealousy and I hate that word <laughs> I actually really because you also never want to assume somebody's jealous well, of you and I definitely did not understand mm-hmm. why anyone would be jealous of me Ever. I had the lowest self-esteem in high school. Um, I did not think highly of myself. I was a happy, cheerful person because that's just my personality. But I could not fathom why this group of girls was so, why they were so mean to me. And, or, or when someone would say, like, you know, mom, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, oh, but they're just jealous. I'd laugh. I'd say, well, what are they jealous of? Um, I live in, you know, like, yeah. they live in the country club and I live here like mm-hmm. or I I wear clothes from Walmart right. and they get their clothes at the mall. why would they be jealous but it's not about material right. things and my initial thought was that it was material but I was a cheerful happy person despite all the reasons why we had every reason not to be mm-hmm. I did definitely got my disposition from our mother mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know positivity was just there but but then I also thought about 
in middle school, my middle school and my high school time frames were very, very different. And in middle school, um, there was at a certain point where I was with a group of girls where they, I, as an adult, see their influence on me, you know, and where I was, you know, when a conversation was had with me about how I was treating someone else, it was rooted I, because I was the one that stood out the most as I was that leader mm -hmm. because that, that it was, it was atypical of your normal behavior. Yeah, so atypical surprised. that they were like, what? And I was, but I wasn't the leader, but I could see now as an adult why that was the case, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's really tough nowadays. Um, I think that mean girls carry through even into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're all rooted. I'm going to try to look, there is a book on mean girls. I'm going to see if I can find it. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, you can keep talking while I try. Yeah, to well, and I'd say that the biggest thing um, that I, you know, some tips in us talking through this is first, make sure you're aware and you're talking to your kids and that you're listening to their behaviors um, and you're not thinking immediately when someone gives you feedback on your child that they're wrong. I think that that's important. And two, with girls, I think it definitely starts at home in what Belinda said and instilling confidence in them so that they are not only confident in themselves, but they also have a level of humility within themselves as well. This might not be the exact book. Again, Google's your best friend though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it is though. No More Mean Girls. And it's by Katie with a K Hurley. And she's a licensed clinic, clinical social worker. If it's from a license, you know, LCSW, LMSW, LPC, um, I would probably recommend it um, just to kind of have a better understanding of Mean Girls and, you know, where it comes from. But again, um, you have to be honest with yourself and where that might possibly come from. And it's okay to yeah. be honest with yourself. You know, we're just trying to make the world a better place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so then the last question before we kind of reference the article and wrap up the pod today is, and I thought this was a really good question. Um, because I don't think that people always think this, um, but we, you and I can relate to this a little bit. Um, so the impact of a healthy marriage on the behavior of children. I think that, um, most people would, well, I don't know. I can't, I won't even generalize because I don't know. Um, but working with children, mm -hmm. um, and you, you know, specialization, I mean, family therapy is a specialization for you. You know, what do you think the impact of um, the health of a marriage is on, <coughs> on children? What would you say are some things we need to be um, mindful of? So would it be in the impact on children or children's impact, children's behavior impacting marriages? The other way. So let's say a marriage has, you know, can have some super highs and some super lows. Um, that's obviously going to feed and impact children, right, mm -hmm. in, yeah. in their behavior. Um, you know, what are some of the cues for parents to be aware of, um, if something's not going, let's say marriage is not good right, right now, mm -hmm. you know? So there are several different things I, I want to say are misconceptions. Um, you know, you hear those cliche sayings like never go to bed angry or never fight in front of your children. I actually think you can fight in front of your children if it's a constructive argument. Right. So <laughs> the I statements, the actually active listening to my side and your side and the empathy and understanding, because again, we're, we're, teaching be, we're teaching them and we're being examples and they have to learn it from somewhere. They're just kids. Now, if it's unhealthy, of course, no, you don't need to do that. Um, protecting your children, I completely understand. Going to bed angry, I understand that. 
I think that tends to be, oh, because you never know, you know, what could happen. But I think it's okay to take a pause and calm down. If we're doing that for children, why can't we do it for ourselves? Oh, yeah. You get what I'm saying? We, we take purposeful pauses. Yes. I think you should because yeah. you don't want to say something you're going to regret that you can't take back because once those words are out, you can't take them back. Out of um, You don't want to react out of emotion when you're super angry and you're not afraid to throw those darts at somebody. So, you know, the going, going to bed, you know, angry might be better because you might have a better conversation in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I'm trying to be careful with what I say just because I never want to like hurt our parents' feelings. But I was a re- I w- at a very young age witnessed some pretty unhealthy arguments. Um, and it definitely didn't teach me how to communicate effectively. So, um, you know, children or I guess how you impact your children with your behavior or your marriage, I think you should always emphasize that you're a team, that it's husband and wife first and then children because you have to you want that bond and you want that support system yes you really want and now I will say in (laughs) in marriage therapy as I told you the other day it's not about you never go in as the therapist saying like I'm gonna save this marriage that's my goal no it's about the couple's goal and if the couple decides that they're done they're done so I also don't think it's good to stay for the children either if you know it's very toxic and that what the children are going to see, you know, and again, kids are always going to be like, oh, I wish my parents were together. And I understand that. But you would want your parents to be together. I don't know if I worded that right a while ago, but whatever. If you want your parents to be together, you want them to be together because it's good. It's good and it's healthy and happy, not all the time. But when you hit those rough patches, you're able to work through that together. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. I I think that, and I'm not the expert here, but I think that uh, some kids learn from good example and some learn from bad. Right. And again, this is nothing towards our parents. I think our parents, I think our parents are pretty transparent now mm-hmm. later in life with some things um, based on their roles and where they are in life. But I'll say that I definitely work through communication and conversations with my husband based on the examples that I saw, right. which means that I, I'm determined mm-hmm. in, a, in a conversation to talk through it calmly and to work through it. But we, there's tears and yelling mm-hmm. and, and there's emotions and that's what it's supposed to be. But we also um, work through it and talk through it and understand each other's feelings in mm-hmm. it. And we always and feelings are feelings, so no one's ever wrong for having the feelings they have. And we always go into those conversations right. that way. Like when I'm expressing something, um, I try to make sure that I'm saying I feel this way when you say this. Well, and see, I'll let you continue, but I want to add to that. I say that to my kids. I think I startle the kids I work with sometimes when I tell them it's okay to feel a certain way. Yep. Because they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well." tell me something that makes you happy and they tell me something and I'm like is it okay to be happy about that yes tell me something that makes you sad oh well, my pet died well is it acceptable to be sad and they're like yeah well tell me something that makes you angry and then they tell me and I'm like is it okay to feel that way and they're startled by that but what I emphasize is it's okay to have those feelings but it's not always okay to act a certain way based on those based feelings on them. Yeah. the actions and so again taking that step back so 
Okay, continue with, with yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's it's true. It's and it's a fair point. I think that um, you know with marriage, I think our kids have to see the effort and they have to see that it's a two way street. That your communication going in and communication going out, and that you're working together on it. Um, I mean, my parents, our parents, we they fought, but they also did talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been after a little while, but they talked, and um, I do remember that. But for me, the biggest thing I saw was that usually it resulted in just not, there was no compromise and there was no end. And so for me, like, I feel it's important to not ignore it Mm -hmm. because when you ignore it, it piles up to not finish the argument. Like, I think sometimes people are so afraid of hurting the other's feelings, even in a marriage. I mean, I've been with my husband for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. If I held on to every single little thing, our marriage would crumble. I have to be able to talk about it. And what I hope our kids see is that they see us talking. They mm-hmm. see that sometimes it's uncomfortable. They see us talk through it. They see us acknowledge it. I want them to learn that mm-hmm. so that when they go into their own relationships, that they feel confident right. to do that, you know, and feel co- and problem solving. Like, just talk through it. And, mm-hmm. not, and maybe, so the overwhelming thing I think for me was that I never felt like people talked about things later in our household like they just didn't talk everyone was so afraid to talk I just maybe that's again I learned I think we also you and I have a tendency to learn from what like we learn from what people do but we also learn from what they don't do yeah and you want to do something different I I hope that every generation learns yep you know because we also as adults look back and we look at our parents and we look at the families they came from and how they were raised and how they did the best they could with what they had and you know it it's kind of like self-therapy for us. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so we learn from what maybe they didn't do mm-hmm. that we would hope to improve on. Yep. So Yeah. Oh, well, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap up with just, you know, kind of leaving you guys with some tips on some, uh, some of the focuses for raising successful kids, especially like middle schoolers. But I feel like we've kind of run the gamut mm-hmm. of all ages. But I thought this was cool, and I thought I'd share these last two points before we wrap. So um, the first thing is instilling organizational skills. So I thought this was really good, and it kind of comes back to the whole consistency thing, but we definitely struggled with this. I'm referencing an article on kidshealth.org from Nemours, and it's two parents, and um, it talks about um, the right amount of sleep. You know, you Mm -hmm. talked about them having... You can Google that, by the way. Look up... Um, sleep schedules for per age chart. Yeah. And it'll tell you, like, if your five-year-old has to get up at 6 a.m., this is the time they need to go to bed at. Right. Um, good sleep is so important for brain development, and it emphasizes that. It talks about how, in general, preteens need 10 to 12 hours of sleep each night, and that's without, like, light. Mm-hmm. They need dark, mm-hmm. right? Because any kind of light disturbs their it's okay brain to development. Take their phones. Yeah, take the phones away, turn off the lights, be the parent, have consistency there. Um, the next is um, looking at ways to make sure that your teens, your preteens have daily to-do lists to prioritize their tasks and manage time. Um, we talked about them having good time management. We'll talk about that in a minute, but um, it's Having something as easy as an after-school um, to-do list and a daily to-do list will help them to learn organizational skills. It could be as easy as, one, swim practice, two, walk the dog, three, dinner. Um, but just teaching them time management is, is important. Right. So what I said ooh, what I said last night, um, and it was a mind-blowing moment for both of us, is we always hear the word time management, 
but out of training, I'm very redundant, out of training I went to, I will never look at it the same again because um, the, the expert, the trainer said, it's not time management, it's managing ourselves because you don't manage time. You have the same hours in the day every single day. The only thing you manage is yourself and how you prioritize those tasks, you know, and how you teach yourself to be responsible and and get through those tasks. And it's like, whoa, because (laughs) I never thought of it that way. But it's so true. The only thing we can manage is ourselves. You get the same amount of time. So I think it's great to teach these kids Mm self-sufficiency because the example I used last night was, you know, I went, I was in high school. It was easy breezy. You know, I didn't have to work very hard. And then I got accepted into this freaking huge university and I go to class and I'm like, what? I have to study? What is this? And I did not have good study skills. And let me tell you, my GPA reflected that. So, same. yeah, I, I really, I was never taught that. I never thought about that. And so, again, going back to, hey, I'm t- trying to teach these children to be responsible adults. To learn those habits now is great because you want it to kind of become secondhand nature. You want them to be able to sit down and give themselves 30 minutes of reading time or 30 minutes of this without any sort of distraction that they focus on because they know if I don't do this, I'm going to fail this test. That's going to be 30% of my grade. So Yeah, let me tell you, I struggle with it even now Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that instilled at an early age. So I try really hard with our kids to make sure we have that too. And that led to the last piece, which which ties in perfectly, which is teaching study skills. um, That we need to remember that getting a good night's sleep is smarter than cramming. Mm -hmm. And that um, recent studies show that students who sacrifice sleep to study are more likely to struggle on tests the next day. Oh, wow. So, you know, um, remind your child to take notes in class, organize them by subject, and review them at home each day, and help your child to review material and study with easy easy techniques like simple questioning. Asking to provide the missing word and creating practical tests for them at home will help them to be successful. And that goes back to the lack of sleep. Yeah. Um, Creating the inability to focus. And memory retention. So, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep. You cram, you go into this test the next day, and you can't remember everything because of the lack of sleep. So, yeah, yeah, very important. So I think, you know, to kind of wrap this up, some tips to share with everyone that we've talked about today. Um, The first is everything just started in with love. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, you said parents are the anchor. Um, The second is consistency. Right. You know, having consistency and then follow through. Mm -hmm. Don't feel bad. Yeah. For being don't beat yourself up. It's okay. And say no. And don't beat yourself up. She said that a lot of times. She tells me that's often to myself. I do. I do. Um, the other piece is get smart about technology. and, and Educate yourself. And educate yourself. Um, you don't want to be caught off guard. I can tell you we did. We were caught off guard a little bit. Um, and it was still a G version. There's way worse. Mm, so, yes, very much um, so. Make sure you're looking at that. Um, when it comes to parenting your siblings and arguments to work through it. There's no right or wrong way, um, but you don't have to parent each child the same way. Right, and it's okay. It's okay. And it's okay if your kid doesn't understand in that moment why they're parented differently. Yeah. Um, raising girls and an emphasis on mean girls. She referenced a, a, you know, a good book to look at, but just, again, it comes back to consistency and teaching them to have humility as well as being confident in right. themselves too, having a good mix of both of those. Um, and last, when it comes to marriage and, and how as parents, there's everything we do, we'll, you know, we started this off with 
you saying that the toughest job really is being a parent and being married and or in a relationship um we have to be aware that that does impact our our, our kiddos mental health as well right and well-being but it doesn't have to be negative um them seeing us work through it as parents is also constructively yeah constructively um is in, it's going to be meaningful to them and if you're not working through a healthy marriage um and that's going to also impact them too so just again coming back to being aware right so um any last thoughts as we wrap up the pod yay <laughs> i want to come back <laughs> <laughs> We'll I can talk about this stuff forever, clearly. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely bring you back, and Jen will be back. Um, we've all been on vacation, so we hope you guys have had a great vacation. I'll tell you that um, we wrap with the six degrees of positivity. So the um, six degrees today, um, you know, your project, your homework um, to leave you with today is to take a, a purposeful pause at some point this week and stop, meditate, reflect, and then say something positive. It might be to your kid, it might be to your sister, your daughter, your wife, your brother, your mom, your dad, or a friend. But just take a purposeful pause, think back on everything we talked about today, and share it. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say on our page as far as what you did today um, or what you did this week regarding your pause. So thanks so much for joining us on Positively Mommin'. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.